0: Studying The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Uh, And uh, of course, uh, we're going to be moving into getting close. This is our second to the last. This will be, uh, we'll do this one and then next week we'll finish the book up. Uh, And of course, the following Sunday, a week from this Sunday is Man Church. Uh, That is at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. And a lot of you watching and listening uh, around our state and even around the country, Man Churches are popping up everywhere. So we're excited about that. And I've got some more updates that will be coming along with that uh, soon sooner than later, but if you ever need any information about how to implement men's ministry in your church, uh, you can always reach me, rick at rickandbubba.com. And if you have any questions about anything that we're doing, you can always uh, reach me there. And and I thank you for that. James, again, who are we praying for? Uh, Jamie McWilliams. Jamie McWilliams. So I'm going to include that. This is a a friend of James whose wife has had a stroke. So we'll pray for her and let's open up with prayer. Lord, thank you for today. We do take uh, uh, Jamie, and we just we just lift her up in this situation. We know, as so many husbands in the room, uh, you know, when our wife uh, is is struggling, and it's it's a it's a time for us to stand up and be the men you've called us to be. Pray for all the doctors that are treating her, and and that you'll be uh, with him in a special way for him to be the encouragement he needs to be to her. And ultimately, we pray for her to make a full recovery. Uh, Lord, we have others I know that are hurting uh, and struggling all over all over the listening uh, audience uh, that is. listening to this today or maybe watching within the room so many different things that we're struggling with. I pray that you help us to be the men that we need to be in the middle of all these things. Uh, Lord, we celebrate uh, this past Friday night. Uh, the things that uh, that you did in Opelika, Alabama, First Baptist Opelika, and that those men that made those decisions and the things that happened, that you'll stay with him. And I pray that you put your hand on all of us that are, that are planning the rollout of this type of discipleship uh, in churches all over this country, that there be an awakening, a, a rising up of the men of God uh, in response to a society that is dying and desperate in the name of Jesus we pray amen, amen. so if you if you have uh, your bible we're going to we're going to be jumping around a bit but if you can go to the book of hebrews we're going to spend some time there to get started. So we've been doing the pursuit of holiness. I mean, we the, we went back and last week we talked about developing holy habits. Before that, we talked about uh, how how we 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 have to, of course, get the the, the spiritual part of our life in, in control. Before that, the physical part of our life also needs to be made holy. And really, today is going to be a part of this dance that I think it was really eye opening for me, and I, and I hope it will be for you, it's because we all know that when you when you when when you ask somebody who understands the concepts of the gospel and you say to them, how are we saved? Uh, how are we redeemed? And i I learned this even as a child. Well, I have been redeemed by faith, you know, and, 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 and through grace. Well, what does that mean? What does faith mean? And so what, what, what Jerry Bridges is talking about, he said, if we're talking about that we, that we come to know Christ through faith and then we're redeemed by his grace or God's grace through, through his son, then what does the faith part mean? Because what has happened, as we tend to do a lot of times, is we, we start getting into these, these theological thoughts and this concept that really faith doesn't require any action at all. Uh, and so what Jerry is taking on, is he said, no, if you look at what, especially the writer of Hebrews is talking about, he takes obedience, which is action and faith. And he says they're interchangeable. That, that if you want to know somebody's faith, it's actually shown through their obedience. I can tell you I have faith all day long, but what is the proof of that faith? And, you know, remember I did this example a few weeks back because I knew this was coming, but it was mentioned briefly in another chapter is if I took one of these chairs and told you I had faith that it was going to hold me, but I never sat in it, how do you know that I truly believe that? Well, you would know that I had faith in the chair when I actually sat in it. Uh, That, that, that would be, that's what he's talking about, about, about action. And so he's talking about in the pursuit of holiness and how these two things work together, holiness and faith. And you will find that really what the Bible is saying is that those who have the kind of faith that redeems them in God is when that person, has faith that is that is action. An example right out of the gate. Hebrews eleven eight. Uh, but you know this is where in, in, in chapter eleven. If if you're not familiar with this part of the Bible, in chapter eleven, a lot of people call this the the Hall of Fame of faith. And so there's there, and we'll get through a, a number of them that are in chapter eleven today. And kind of give you an example of what we're talking about. But first of all, we'll start with Abraham on, on one of the examples. Now, in my opinion, the other example is even bigger, but the Jerry chooses this one to start with by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So faith is that God said, go, and he didn't ask any questions or details. It it would be like, if God told me tomorrow, leave the Rick and Bubba show. Well, my first question would be, and then go where? No, I just said leave. And, I'll, and i and trust me, through faith, that what I'm telling you to do is right. Just do what I say by faith. Now, what if I said I have faith that if I leave the Rick and Bubba show, that I'm still going to do. What you, somehow, you're gonna you're gonna do what you said you were gonna do. But then I came back to work the next day and, and sat right back down, put the headphones on, and still took my check on the 15th. Is that faith? I said I was faithful. I said I had faith in God. Hey, God told me to leave the Rick and Bubba show. Well, have you done it? No. Well, then I don't have any faith because because then I didn't do anything. I didn't trust that what God was calling me to was the right thing. Now, when I say the right thing, that doesn't mean the way we see it. He may say, Leave the Rick and and Bubba show because I'm going to take you into a place that has less of a platform and for a lot less money. But if you do what I said to do, ultimately, your life should be around that you want to be in my perfect will. And this is my perfect will. So you trust me that it's right. And that's faith. Example, he talked about. The, the different farmers had even talked about um, uh, how they were told uh, many times about, uh, of course, even he'll get to this, even when he told the, the, his people, I want you to plant, but every seventh year I don't want you to plant anything. But then I want you to have faith that I'll give you double on the sixth year so you got what you need for the seventh year too, but I want you to let the ground rest. Well, sadly, it said a lot of them didn't do it. Because they thought to themselves, well, that, that's impossible. I'm not going to have any food. Uh, but then we also talked about the farmer that said, remember he used the example of one of the guys, he said a modern day farmer, he would not harvest anything on, on, on Sunday. He, he, did, he, he decided that he would take Sunday as a day of rest because he said that he was, that he was told to have a, a Sabbath. He would have a day of rest that was devoted totally to the Lord. Well, a lot of you, if you had grandfathers or you fathers or you're currently farming, you know there are certain crops that if you don't get them when they're ready, you lose them. Uh, or, you, or you don't know what the weather's going to do the next day or whatever. But this guy never, ever harvested on Sunday. He never did it. And, and of course, he, he never had a problem. Uh, other farmers thought he was crazy. Look at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, I got news for you. Bubba and I entered into the fast food business for, for, for a rocking year. <laughs> and, uh, and when we entered into that business, I looked at the numbers. And I'm telling you, losing a day of sales does not look good on paper. You know, you're going to give up Sunday. You know, what I always love, my favorite are the people of the church that will say that they people. There was a time when nothing was open on Sunday and you ask them where they're eating and they go, well, the places that are open. Uh, So if if you uh, if you don't think places should be open on Sunday, then go home and cook. You don't need to go eat at them and then complain that they're open. Okay. so so anyway, so so what Chick-fil-A said was what? We, we're going to do it, whether it's, it's, whether it's legalistically required or not, that's another day in another Bible study. They did it for the right reason as worship. We want our employees to have a day off. We want them to be able to go to church. And we're going to take this day and we're going to devote it to the Lord. Does anybody think that, that, that they, that's been a struggle for them? <laughs> no. And let's admit it, as followers of Jesus, we get mad because they're not open. Hey, i tell you what we can do. Let's go to Chip. Oh, it's Sunday. They're not even open. <laughs> yeah. but, but anyway, that's the kind of things we're talking about. It goes back to, I remember this, uh, and I'm not saying that we've always done it, but I can tell you there was conversations with this business, uh, Rick and Bub Incorporated. We would sit around and say, we're doing a secular radio show. We're in business to make a profit. No, nothing sinful about that. And we started talking about as everybody's faith started growing on the show and what we would do and, and, and not do. And, and, we, and it got to the point where you said, well, if you do this, it, that, may, that may trigger this. And what about that? And I remember, and I'm not saying that we adhered to it on the first day, but all of a sudden the Lord just hit me with the truth. And I would say this to any of you in here that are in business, any of you in here that, that you're doing whatever you're doing for a living, this is faith. If you will do your business... And you will do your vocation exactly the way the Lord said to do it. Never compromising him. It is impossible that you would ever be wrong. If you compromise him to make another dollar, you made a huge mistake. Because you may do what he asked you to do and it, and it, did, and it does cost you. But so what you got to understand is, is that other dollar... Because he may say, thank you for devoting the day to me. And by the way, you're struggling and the people who help him on Sunday aren't. This is, not a, this is not a health, wealth and prosperity message, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm just saying he said, do what I said to do and I'll provide for your needs. Now, I may not provide for your wants, but I will provide for your needs. You won't, you won't go without if you do what I do. But to make, take it a step further, if we'll decide... If you're watching this, listening to this or in this room to truly say that we're faithful to the Lord, then we will do everything the way he says to do it. Because if we do, regardless of the earthly outcome, it's always right. I'm not going to compromise him, period. Period. And then I know because it goes back to what I'm seeing a lot of times in the church and, and, and it hit me and I put something out. You know, when, when you, Jesus is talking to Matthew and he says, why are you all so afraid of people that can only harm the body? But you're, you have no concern about my father who's going to decide that your body and your soul can end up in hell. Human beings can't do anything about your soul. They can't harm your spirit. My father can My father is in charge of not what's just going to happen to your body, but where your spirit is going to spend eternity and you're less afraid of him than you are people that can't even do, can't touch your soul. And you see it in the church right now. The church is getting to a point, and this is blasphemy, I'm speaking in general, where we're more, we're more afraid to be on the bad side of human beings than we are to be on the bad side of God. And we just allow people just to blaspheme God. And we're like, well, if, this, if we make trouble, we're going to make trouble. You know, if, if there's one thing that you see that the church in the West in general is completely dropping the ball on, is, is allowing perpetual sin to exist inside the church body. Amen. I'm not talking about the lost. Well, we say lost people are always going to act lost. They, don't have, they have no choice. They're still under the slavery of sin. Romans 6. But once we've been set free from the reign of sin, then we sin as free people. We can't make excuses. We're on the reign of it anymore. We can still be touched by it, but we're not under the reign of it. And so what's happening is I talked to a pastor about this the other day. He said, now, he said, I'll have a young couple come sit down in my, in my, in my office. We'll start talking about their, their desire to be married. They'll be living together and they have no shame about it whatsoever. There was a time that if you were living in fornication, it was something you were ashamed of. Not anymore, even within the church. He goes, he goes, and then you get into this, and then we get to where, you know, unbiblical divorce, which is 99% of them. There's no shame in that anymore. I mean, the people will be members of the church and go out and do a sinful divorce and not even check up on it. So why should it surprise us when the church has become so passive on heterosexual sin that guess who's at the door now? Homosexual sin. And the church is terrified of it. But they're more terrified of that than they are of being on the wrong side of God. Does God love people who are struggling with sin? He certainly does. Does he approve of them? No. No. And we don't went as far, if you remember back, with this thing of God loves uh, loves the sinner but he hates sin. Hey, that's some shaky theology too. When you look at places like Psalms 5 where he says he he hates evildoers. Well, if he hates evildoers, that's, that's the people doing it. But yet we've set up this pristine that it's not that big a deal. And, you know, holiness is not talked about that much. I'm going to tell you something. Open sin. I'm gonna talking about stumbles. Open, perpetual, defiant sin within the body of the church infuriates God. Infuriates God. And these people, Matthew 18, should be dealt with privately. They should be dealt with, with more, more members of the leadership. And then if they continue to openly defile the church publicly, then they should be removed. That's from the Bible. And somehow, this is back to what I said before, how did we ever decide that we won't do what God said to do, but somehow he's still okay with it? And you know why he warned us about it? These people, that leaven, before you know it, the whole big old chunk of dough is affected by it. And before you know it, it's chaos in the church. And so this is the kind of faith that he's taught me. He said, though we often think of holiness as in more of a narrow sense of separation from impurity and moral evil. It certainly is that. But it says in a broader sense, and I love this, and this is the whole lesson today. Holiness is obedience to the will of God and whatever God directs. Hey, I want to be in your will. Your will be done. You know, I, I told you about that. And again, in the toughest sense, and y'all please pray uh, for my wife because uh, it really should have been done years ago, but I think it's being done in God's timing. Uh, she is now doing the audio book version of her book, Bronner: A Journey to Understand. And it's tough for her to have to go back through that and, and read her own book and, and voice it. So a lot of this is coming back. And so one of the things that I recall that is one of the most moving moments of this in the story is when my wife, a powerful woman of God, who let me tell you something. If any of you have benefited from my teacher, you need to, my teaching at all. You need to thank the Lord first, but you need to thank my wife second because she was the spiritual leader of our marriage for a very long time. And, and she has been an, an invaluable resource to me as a man, and helping me to come along as a, in my sanctification. And so. One of the things that, that, that you look at that is when she said supernaturally, she said it was impossible, completely impossible for me to be holding the body of our child as our child was trying to be bought, brought back to life. And when they told me that they could not bring him back, supernaturally from her spirit, the Holy Spirit said she heard her mouth say it, not my will be done, but your will be done. Mm. Hard. Hard. But who she learned that from? Her Lord. Who in the garden, when the decision was being made on, by the way, on whether you and I are going to be doomed or not. When he goes to the father, when he's when his capillaries are bursting and he's bleeding and that 100 percent man side of him, everybody he's about to die for. They won't pray with him. They keep abandoning him. And he's sitting there going, hey, father, is there another way to do this? Because now I realize I'm about to face the wrath of almighty God, my father, that these people deserve. And that wrath to be poured out on me. And this is stressful. But when he did not hear an alternate, he did not hear an audible. He said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he was resolute to the cross. Well, see, that example was already there. The Lord did not ask my wife to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. Okay, and so that's when we get down to complete obedience to the Lord's will over our own. And this is the key, whatever he directs. He's right. And I can tell you, looking back over the last 11 years, since my son has gone to heaven, I can tell you this, as my wife said, I don't always like the way he does things, but I cannot argue with the results. Mm -hmm. The fruit of this continues to pour in over and over and over again. Even within my own family, there were things that weren't going to happen any other way. And God loved us enough to do whatever he had to do. And we trust that he was right. So that's total faith. So he says, here's what it is saying. Just as Jesus, I just use that example. It is saying with Jesus as our example, when Jesus says, if you look at Psalms 40, write that down. Psalms 40, six through eight. This is a prophetic Psalm about Jesus. This is Jesus saying in this prophetic Psalm, here I am. I have come to do your will. This is Jesus talking to his father, O God. And so remember, what did Jesus keep saying? I've come here to do the will of my father, yes. period, period. Everything I'm doing, it's under the will of my father. No one, and this is it. It, it, guys, write this down. And if I have to keep saying it over and over, if you've got something to write with, if not, go back and listen to the recording of this and write it down, post it somewhere and listen to this phrase. No one can pursue holiness who is not prepared to obey God in every area of his life. Amen. Not some areas. Every single area. No one can pursue holiness who is not prepared to obey God in every area of his life or her life, your life. And, you, and, you, and that's a rah-rah moment but now you better stop and think about what we're saying now. See, what I've noticed, and I used to certainly be this person, is I will obey the Lord in some areas of my life. But there's certain decisions. If you push me on them, then, then you, you, I don't know if you can count on me or not. You know, you see this all the time, even some of the things that we've had to go through. And it's not easy. And, and it's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, surely you don't expect me to be obedient to you here because it doesn't make any earthly sense. Hey, this is, going ups- this is going to turn my family upside down. This is going to lose my job. Surely you don't expect me to do that. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you, if you want to get to the thing that surely God does not want us to do, disobey Him. Now, you can be sure about that. There's never a situation where God goes, well, I know I called you to obedience, but certainly in this case I was being unreasonable. You don't ever see that. So you've got to make that decision. And what I find is that a lot of people, even if they're people of faith, they're people of faith to an extent. To an extent. As long as it doesn't get in one of those situations, what did we say last week, where you say, well, this is it's naturally okay for me to respond this way. This is a natural response. Yeah, that's why it's wrong. There's nothing natural about the following Jesus. That's supernatural. We do supernatural things. Okay, because of the power He provides, not because we're so strong. If you don't believe this, look at what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The holiness described in the Bible calls us to do more than separate ourselves from the moral pollution of the world around us. It calls us to obey God even when that obedience is costly, when it requires deliberate sacrifice, and even hey, in some cases exposure to danger. Hey, if I I, I speak about the Lord right here, this is going to be trouble. You don't think the Coptic Christians, if they were still here or if they can hear us in heaven, they got lined up on the beach and they said, we're coming down one by one and we're going to chop your head off if you don't denounce Jesus. One by one. And see, the beautiful part about the faith of these Coptic Christians, far superior to ours, by the way, over here, we're really struggling over here in the Western church, I mean, when's the last time your faith cost you anything? If it hasn't, it's probably because you're not faithful in every area of your life. If you'll be faithful in every area of your life, it'll cost you something, I promise you. Cost you a friend, cost you something. I'll tell you what, it cost you a job. I'll tell you tell what else it cost you, your sin. But anyway, so, so their families were being interviewed. This moved me, man. So their families were being interviewed. You know what they weren't doing? Whining. They were celebrating. We're so thankful that our loved one has been put into position by God to have their head cut off so they can show the world that what we believe is real. The world's going to see that, we, that our loved one won't denounce Jesus. And you know what was so cool about that? They didn't have any doubt in their loved one. None. Does that tell you the loved one had lived such a, such a life of faith that their loved ones, no one was saying, what do you think they're going to do? So, so let me ask you this. If you were put in this situation, let's say, first of all, if you have a wife and you were put in this situation. If they were interviewing your wife, would your wife say, today's the day that my husband dies because he will not denounce Jesus? Or would they talk to your wife? She's like, hmm, this could go either way. What if they talk to your children? Hey, they're going to cut your daddy's head off today if he doesn't denounce Jesus on the on the camera. Would your children say, my daddy will die an honorable, honorable death today? I promise you that because he's not going to denounce Jesus. Or would they say, I don't know. We watch him all the time. I, I guess he loves Jesus. I don't know if he loves him enough to have his head cut off, though. Which one would it be? Seriously, honestly, I mean, wh- which one would, would it be based on the way you've lived your life of faith? Has your, has your life been, my faith is here as long as it doesn't cost me anything? I don't want to be put in any uncomfortable situations. I don't want my children to be put in any uncomfort- uncomfortable situations. I don't want my wife to be put in any uncomfortable situation. I want to live a life of leisure, leisure and I want it to be easy. Well, I got terrible news for you and me if we have that attitude. We just talked about many times in this room that in Matthew 7, Jesus said the wide and easy road is the one that a lot of people are on that leads to destruction. He actually said the, the path we're supposed to be on and the gate we enter is narrow. And it's hard and only a few find it. So if if your whole deal is wide and easy, then that's the road most people are on and most people going to hell. So so we, we have to get to the point that obedience, obedience, true obedience is to reveal the will of God is often just as much a step of proclaiming a promise from God. In fact, one of the most intriguing thoughts of the book of Hebrews, and this is cool, is that the writer, he appears to use obedience and faith interchangeably. Like they're the same thing. Now see, how many of you thought that faith was something you could throw around a lot because nobody could really identify if it was true or not? He says the writer of Hebrews actually says it is easy to identify because look, look at some of the examples I say. Look, look at what he says uh, about the Old Testament Hebrews who were not to enter God's promised land. Look what he says in 3, 3.18, Hebrews 3.18. He's talking about those, you know, that God said, y'all not going in. Remember when he sent the 12 spies in? Ten of them came back, and said, we, we can't defeat these people. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we had two that came back that said, God's going to give them to us. Why did they say God's going to give them to us? Because they thought that was a done deal. They didn't think they could beat them either. They just thought God could. Mm-hmm. You know, why did David say, who in the world is letting this uncircumcised guy blaspheme God? He said, what would happen? God would deliver him into my hands. Mm-hmm. The giants, nothing compared to God. Nothing. And, and, and so the, the, the enemies in the land of Canaan were too much for, for, for the Hebrews, but it was nothing for God. And, and, so, and, and so Joshua knows this. Caleb knows this. And so, anyway, so, but the other 10 know. And it says, look at, look at 18. All right, let's look at 17 first. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Meaning God got angry about these people for 40 years of wandering around till they died off. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? He walked them around for 40 days till they died. Why? Look at 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, talking about the promised land, but to those who were disobedient? Look at 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So they did not have faith in God. And God declared that disobedient. So a lack of faith is disobedience. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. And he says, what did he ultimately say in verse 19? He declared that unbelief. Because you know what he says? So you said you believed in me, but now I'm telling you I'm going to do something and you say I'm not going to do it. Well, then you don't really believe it. What do we say a thousand times? What he's saying is we may and what they did, they, the, the other 10 and all the families represented by these other 10. Now, one thing I find wonderful and very comforting to a lot of us, the little babies God didn't punish. If you go back and look, he punished their parents. But the, the little children that didn't know any better, they still got to go in when, when after the 40 years when their vows went in. But here's the thing. So it goes back to what we said. God is saying this. The writer of Hebrews is saying this. So in other words, these Hebrews of the Old Testament professed that they believed in God. They professed they had faith in God, the kind of faith that saves. But their actions did not confirm it. So what are actions? What you really believe. You may profess one thing and live another, but it's impossible to live one thing and believe another. It's impossible. What we do is actually what we believe. And and this is the writer of Hebrews that is confirming this. Now look at chapter four. Same writer of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 2. For good news came to us, just as to them, talking about the Hebrews, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So those who listened, the two that listened and their families, were were the men of real faith. I love what he says. All 12 of them heard the same thing, but only two believed. Because they were saying, we'll go in, we'll take the land. The ones who said we can't do it, he said, listened, but their actions said they didn't really believe it. So, so now you say, Rick, now look, this is, this is, this is talking about the old, it may talk about the Old Testament all you want to, but look, look at six. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. So look, look at 3, 18 and 19, look at, then look at 4, 2 and 6. It says the same thing. So how does that apply to us, Rick? I'll tell you how it applies to us. We've been told over and over again, this is the gospel. We've been told over and over again that God came to pay a price we couldn't pay for ourselves, that He took on human flesh, that He lived the perfect life, that He went to the cross and paid debt for sin. Then He defeated, uh, paid our sin. Then He defeated death when He walked out of the tomb on the third day. He says, I have ascended and I am going to heaven. And while I go to build a place for you, I'm telling you to go out and make disciples, teach people to obey my commands. I'll be with you until the end of the earth. And that means every everybody in here, most of you would say, yes, Rick, I've heard that. But you know what God was saying. But the ones who believed it are the ones that are actually doing it. The rest of you just heard it. You just heard it. A lot of people heard it. And they might have even said they believed in it intellectually. But they didn't show faith. Which means they didn't show obedience. Which means they didn't really believe it. And it's important. It's important. Think about when Jesus says, look. If you do not confess me before men, I will not acknowledge you before the Father. How do we let those statements like that go by so casually? That's big. But if you will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father. And then you sit there and go, yeah, okay, yeah, he You believe that? I do. So do you confess Jesus before people? I don't. Well, then you don't believe it. That's why Jesus said that He's not going to acknowledge you before the Father. That's not Him being mean. He just knows you you don't really believe in Him. See, don't, th- don't miss that. This is not Him saying, I'm setting down a rule. He's saying, the reason why I won't be confessing you in front of the Father, the reason you haven't confessed me in front of men, is you don't really believe in me. Not by faith you don't. Because there's been no obedience. You're not even obedient to acknowledging me. So you don't really believe in me. See, this is big stuff. The heroes of the faith were said in Hebrews 11:13. 13. Look what it says about them in 11:13. Jot this down. Why were they called heroes of faith? And I love this. Because they were still living by faith all the way up to they were dead. Action, 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 action. How about this? They obeyed by faith is what it says. Important point. They obeyed by faith. Don't get past that. He's saying obey in faith in the same sentence. They obeyed by faith. They didn't just believe by faith, they acted by faith. They obeyed by faith. Obedience is the pathway to holiness. So, what does that mean, Rick? I'll tell you what that means. If you want to see a holy life, you'll just see an obedient life. Holy people obey. They do what God says. Solomon in his book of repentance, what do we say? I gave you my whole resume. It's not pretty. And let me go ahead and save you a lot of time. The whole role of man is to fear God and do what he says. That's it. But no one will become holy apart from a life of faith. Faith is not only necessary to salvation. It is necessary to live a life that is pleasing to God. That's big. Faith is not only necessary for salvation. It's also necessary to continue to live a life that is pleasing to God. Faith enables us to claim the promises of God, but also enables us to obey when obedience is costly or it seems unreasonable to the natural mind. Some examples from Hebrews 11. This is this is a good one. Have you ever wondered why? Cain's offering was rejected, and Jerry talks about this in the chapter. Well, why, why was why, why was it such a a big deal about these two offerings? That's legalism, Rick. Legalism seems a little legalistic to me. Well, here's why it's important, and I hate you're not going to believe this example I'm about to use. Van Halen. Y'all didn't see that coming, did you? In this in this Bible study. <laughs> If you if you remember, I remember hearing the story growing up about how Van Halen had a rider on their contract that said that their M&M bowl should not have any black or brown M&Ms in it. Now, that sounds like a bunch of pampered rock stars, and they're certainly not examples of the kind of faith I'm talking about. But let me tell you why the way this offering was important. You know why they did that? I found out years later, because if they walked in the dressing room and they were black and brown M&Ms in the the, the M&M bowl, that means there's something wrong at the stage, too. That means the people didn't read the writer. So now they're about to face other hassles throughout the day because that was their signal. They didn't care about eating brown and black M&Ms. It was their way to test if you had booked them and read the writer. That means things that really did matter probably weren't handled either. Well, this is God with the offering. He says, this is the offering I demand. This is what I want. So Abel said, okay. (laughs) And Abel brings in an offering exactly like God said to do it. Cain didn't. So what, why, why was God so angered by that? Over legalism? No. Cain didn't believe. So I told you this is how you handle offerings, whether it be meat or be vegetables. And Abel's brought me the spotless, the first, just like I asked. And you brought me just some throwaway stuff. And then somebody said, why is that a big deal? I tell you why it's a big deal. That's not what God said to do. That's not legalism. That's obedience. You said, this is the way I bring the offering. Abel did it. Cain didn't. So it showed Cain's unbelief is what it showed. It doesn't show. See, that's, that's typical of human beings. See, many people would hear this story and say, no, that shows me an unreasonable God. No, 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 no. That shows you an unbelieving person is what that shows you. God is who he is. We're the ones that have to respond. God's never going to change. So if, if you have this, this is really good. If you have the book, I, I looked at this on page 138 and it really, really hit me hard because this is, this is a topic that's very dear to me. So it said, Cain, on the other hand, didn't believe in God's revelation regard, regarding the acceptable sacrifice. I, I hit you that perhaps because it didn't appear to be reasonable to him. I love that. Why would God want me to do this? Why is God calling me to go on this mission trip? I don't got time for this. Why is God calling me into this place? Why, why is God calling me to this? That just seems unreasonable. And he says, but this is the problem. He said, the world's values surround us on every hand. Fame, fortune, and present happiness are held as the most desirable goals in life. But the Bible flatly contradicts the value of these goals. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 20 through 26. Write this down. Matthew 20 through 26. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That sounds unreasonable. So to be great is to serve? See, that contradicts the world's view, doesn't it? The rich should not put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but are told to hope in God to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. First Timothy 6, 17, 18. Well, that doesn't sound right, right? What do you mean? What do you mean I'm supposed to uh, be rich in good deeds first and be generous and be willing to share? It takes faith to pursue such biblical values when the society around us is pursuing goals that are totally opposite. This faith focuses on believing that God ultimately upholds and blesses those who obey him and who trust him for consequence for the consequences of obedience. What it's saying is the world, the world sets this thing up going, wait a minute. God's whole role should just be to make me happy. And so whatever I need to do to make me happy, that's what I should do. But that's the thing that I remember so clearly. And I think it's chapter five of Sherry's book. When she said, I did cry out to God, but we were so happy. And God said, but I want you to be holy. But I want you to be holy. Where do you find this call to happiness? Because the world's definition of happiness may be in total conflict of God. I'll tell you one thing. I had a guy tell me one time, as far as happy was concerned, and moments of happiness, he said, some of my happiest days involve sexual immorality and drunkenness. You may have, all that doesn't turn out bad in the world sense. That may be a pretty decent, fun day. But It's sin. So how can you ever say you're truly happy when you're being disobedient to God, even in the moment? See, that can't be your pursuit. Because if you start checking in with flesh saying, let's be happy, the flesh is going to take you places that God says not to go. If you want to have peace, if you want to have hope, if you want to have joy, regardless of circumstance, that's found to be completely in the middle of God's will for your life. Think about Noah. (laughs) Noah. Noah was warned about something he'd never seen. It's going to rain. Noah's like, "What is rain?" They'd never seen rain yet. You know, it said that the earth used to we had we had enough uh, moisture that would come down in dew that would keep us keep the plants and everything that we need. They'd never seen driving rain. So Noah's told, "I need you to build this boat." He do not know what a boat is. And then, I, then 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 it's going to rain, and I want you to build it this way. And Noah did believe in God's warning that God was going to destroy the earth. He was going to destroy it by something called rain. So how do we know that Noah believed that God was telling him the truth? How do we know? He He built the ark for 140 years. Do you realize how long that is to say, I still don't see this rain you're talking about. Just keep building. Everybody's coming by and I'm building this gigantic boat. I look like an idiot. But see, he was more concerned about being disobedient to God than to be mocked by people. He said, God said it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. And we know this because he continued to do this. And what happened? He believed in the promises of God and he and his family were saved. And now what are we doing? This is good. Are you building art? What are you talking about, right? Did Jesus not say he's coming back? It's going to rain. Jesus said, I'm coming back. And when I do, I'm going to judge the world. And I'm going to take the sheep and the goats and I'm going to separate them. And those that are over here on this side that have rejected redemption to me are going to be cast into never ending fire. Hey, look at me. That's really going to happen. He say, when's he ever coming back? I remember hearing Sam Kennison. The comedian. I could still hear his mocking voice, and I was lost at the time, but it still even bothered me because I, I had a, a powerful, godly grandmama, and I had parents who took me to church. And though I wouldn't be called some devout follower of Jesus, I still was a believer, and I remember him screaming into the microphone. Jesus said he was coming back. I hate to, I hate to tell you this, it's been 2,000 years screaming into the microphone. But you know what happened? Sam Kennison one day was hit on his motorcycle by a drunk driver of all things. The guy who once said, don't drink and drive, well, then how am I supposed to get home? And he was killed by a drunk driver. And I don't know what Sam Kennison's spiritual situation was then. Probably not good. But I assure you that everything that he was mocking in the microphone stood before him. See, this really is going to happen. You say, what do you mean, am I building the ark? Are you doing what Jesus said to do before He ascended? He said, build the ark. He's the ark. And everybody who's with Jesus will be saved. And everybody who's on the outside of Jesus will be destroyed. Do you believe that? Would I look into your life and say, that's ark builder right there. That's somebody building an ark. That's a faithful person. They build an ark. They're about Jesus's business and they don't know whether he's going to come back in their lifetime or they're going to die and face him. One of those two things is going to happen, but we're, we're doing what he said to do because we believe it's going to happen. We believe that we're going to face him when we die our earthly death, or we're going to be here when he comes back. And you know what else we think about? How many people that you need to be getting inside the ark are going to be standing outside when the wrath of God is handed down saying, why didn't you tell me? I didn't, I didn't know you were building an ark. What, what did God tell you? Why didn't you tell me? Well, you know, I'm busy. I got a lot going on. <laughs> or, I don't know, I just never was real comfortable with that. I, I didn't want to make you uncomfortable. Well, I'm going to be uncomfortable in hell, I promise you. I wish I'd have been a little more uncomfortable here as opposed for the rest of my eternity. Are you building the ark? Are you faithful? Do you, are you acting out what you claim to believe? Abraham, wow. We know that Abraham obeyed. We know he went and left where he was and just went. He didn't know why he was going there, but he went. But I, I'm telling you, if you look at look at look at eleven seventeen, I certainly stand in all of I just went, but I stand more in awe of him and Isaac. I'm sorry. You gonna kill your own son? Now that's faith. But let's look at, but here's the thing. Don't miss this. If you look at 1117, the writer of Hebrews gives you some clarity on this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, though Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. Ah, ah, Have you ever thought about that part of it before? Now, wait a minute. God told me that lineage was coming through Isaac. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. Now, I've sent Ishmael and his mama off because I was in disobedience about that. But this is Isaac. God promised me that this offspring would never end. I don't know why he's telling me to kill him, but he must know what he's doing. And I believe that even if I kill him here, God could just raise him back up from the dead. I believe in God's promises that whatever he's calling me to, that the promise he made me about Isaac is going to happen. You get it? Does that make more sense now? So it's still tough. But see, what he didn't do was go, well, I guess God's changed his plan. Here he is telling me to take Isaac up here and kill him. I thought he said Isaac was going to be the lineage. Does God not keep his promises? I'm not doing that. It's going to mess the whole thing up. No, he said, Lord, if this is what you said to do, you must know what you're doing. But in the back of his mind, he was saying, he told me Isaac was going to be the lineage. That was part of the faith because he listened to God's promise. And here's the writer of Hebrews saying, for all he knew, he would let me kill him, then he'd just bring him back alive. But Isaac's just going to be who God said he was going to be. I don't know why we're doing this, but I believe in God. The faith of obedience and the pursuit of holiness is often contrary to human reason. And this would be a great example of that. We must have conviction in the necessity of obeying the revealed will of God as well as confidence in the promises of God, confidence in the promises of God. Matthew six thirty-three. If you have that, look at that. Matthew six thirty-three. Here's the New Testament. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So that's really it. What he's talking about? That's God's promises. So in 633, as you've just heard about seeking first the kingdom of God. So we seek it first. We we seek it first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek it first, his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. That means if you seek his kingdom first... God will provide for our temporal needs. Maybe not your wants, but your temporal needs. But we're often faint hearted and we find it difficult. So we give in to the affairs of this life. We give that top priority in the basic decisions of our life. We don't seek first the kingdom of God. We seek first the issues of of the world. I say this to men all the time when football season is approaching And you're getting ready to worship your idol. And one day you're going to have to realize this is sin. Like I told you, I had somebody ask my wife the other day in the last month. And I still have a long way to go. When did Rick get serious about his physical gluttony? She said, when he called it sin. Until then... You couldn't sell me on the health benefits of it. You couldn't sell me, sadly, even on why do I not want to be more physically attractive to my wife? Why does she have to tolerate an overweight, gluttonous husband? I was so selfish that couldn't even get to me. Because what finally made me address it in my life was when it was called sin. When I could call it what it was, sin. And see, this whole thing with having this idol of things like football teams. It's not funny. This is blasphemy. It's sin. And so if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and you have all your budget together for whatever your idol is, but right now I use football and by golly, I'm going to have my tickets. I'm going to have my tailgate. I'm going to have all this stuff. And suddenly, God said to you, "But I want it. It's mine anyway. I want you to go to zero games this year, and I want you to take that budget and that money, and I want you to invest it in the advancement of the gospel to people that are going to die and go to hell. I want you to sacrificially give. And that is what I say. Can he have it? Yeah. And if and if he can't, you're in sin." You're in sin. You're defiantly sinning against a holy God. And you don't have faith that you can't make it without entertainment for a temporal time to advance his kingdom. And see, if you'll get to the point that you will do that, you might actually enjoy this. Because you don't care about it as much anymore in the wrong place. I told you all this. I enjoy football, hunting, and fishing more than I ever did because I honestly can look you in the eye. I don't care if I ever do it again. I honestly do not care. My life will not be empty if I don't get to a football game. My life will not be empty if I don't go hunting. My life will not be empty if I don't go fishing. My life will not be empty if I do anything because as long as I'm serving the Lord, my God Almighty, I'm good. I'm good. And there's nothing wrong with these things as long as they're not in front of him. And I'm telling you, some of you need to deal with that. I had to deal with it. And I used to hear it and go, yeah, that's a good thing to say, but I didn't act on it. When I acted on it, I realized how sinful I really was. Think about Job. Remember how many times I told you this? At the end of the suffering, before this, he was blessed, blameless, I'm sorry, and upright. But after the suffering, he said, I've seen you so clearly now. I repent in ashes and dust because I guess I look pretty good compared to these other people, but compared to you, I'm in desperate sin. So I repent. Hey, it's important for you to evaluate your life and find out what parts of your life are you faithless? Do you truly want your children to be devout followers of Jesus? or you still want them to get the applause of the world? Your children may be the most successful in their field ever, but if they don't love Jesus and they don't impact the kingdom, it don't mean nothing. And they're not successful. I would rather my children be devoted to Jesus and die on the mission field than to live a a full life to a ripe old age in defiance to God. Because that's all that's gonna matter. That's success. Some of the most successful people that heaven will celebrate, you don't even know anything about. I told you that before. My grandmama was a lunchroom lady. She's a much bigger deal in heaven if he's even there than Paul Bear Bryant. I promise you that. Because I ain't never met anybody that Paul Bear Bryant led to Jesus. But I've met hundreds that my grandmother led to Jesus. Hundreds. She wasn't a big deal here, but she is a really big deal there. So one of the things in closing, when we talk about faith, we look at Jer- 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 Jeroboam. I never can say his name right. And we'll close with this. So the New Testament, we talked about that principle, seeking first the kingdom of God. And we, we, we covered that pretty good. The promise is that, that as we do, God will provide for our temporal needs. We talked about that. But Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom, remember it split into two kingdoms. We had Israel and we had Judah. This shows a lack of faith that leads to disobedience. God promised if you do whatever I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and commands as David, my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. Jeroboam, do what I say. The kingdom is yours. But Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple like God's telling me to do to the Lord in Jerusalem, they'll get up there and again, they'll give their allegiance to their Lord and uh, and the king of Judah will have them. They'll kill me and then they'll return back to him. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves and he said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So God told him, if you if you'll do what I say, I'm going to give you Israel. And Jeroboam started thinking of it in what earthly terms. I don't know about that. I send them up to the temple. They get up there with the king of Israel. They get back to the Lord of Jerusalem. They won't come back and they'll get with him. They'll come back and kill me. and Take this from me. So he built golden calves. Hebrews 4.2, but before we condemn Jeroboam, let us consider our own lives. How often do we fail to obey God's clearly revealed will because we do not exercise faith. Because we do not believe that humility is the path to God's exaltation. 1 Peter 5.6, Write that down. We jockey for a place of position and power in our relations with other others, because we do not believe that God takes note of and will in his time avenge all the wrong that is done to us. Romans 12, 19. We study in our own minds how we can get back at someone that we feel has wronged us. Even though God's promised he'll handle it. We still got to take our own revenge. You know what that means? We don't believe he's going to handle it. Because we're not convinced of the deceitfulness of sin, just talked about that. Hebrews three thirteen, write that down. We play with it, thinking that we'll we'll find satisfaction. Sin's not that big a deal. Because we do not have a firm conviction that Hebrews twelve fourteen, without holiness no one will see the Lord. We started this whole study with that. Hebrews twelve fourteen, without holiness no one will see the Lord. We do not seriously pursue holiness as a priority in our lives. Faith and holiness are linked. Obeying the commands of God usually involves believing the promises of God. One definition of faith might be obeying the revealed will of God and trusting him for the results. Let me say that again. A definition of faith, obeying the revealed will of God and trusting him for the results. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we'll close with this. If we would pursue holiness, we must have faith to obey the will of God revealed in the scripture and faith to believe that the promises of God will then be ours. Amen. You know what it basically says? Faith is taking God at his word and then acting as if you believe it. Amen. Not saying that you believe it. Acting. As if you believe it, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this conviction. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you offer us. I pray that, Lord, we we take this and we apply it to our lives. I pray that we're not afraid to take your holy light and shine it on the darkness of our life and deal with the areas that we still are unfaithful. The areas of our life where we are still unfaithful. And I pray, Lord, that you'll take those and that you'll convict us and make us miserable until we seek first your kingdom. And stop seeking the world's uh, applause. But we look for the applause of an audience of one. You, our creator, our savior, our Lord, our God. And you, we totally trust. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. We'll wrap it up next week. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.